Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello everyone, JJ Cooper here, another Baseball America podcast. Today we're going to have a guest. We're going to be talking to Jeremy Wolf, the co-founder and director of Outreach for More Than Baseball. So I wanted to kind of give a little bit of a preamble because we kind of dive right into it. So if you haven't had a chance yet, you can check out our story at BaseballAmerica.com, a story this week about minor league housing. I had a piece uh, about minor league housing and how the current system, which relies on minor league players to be responsible for their own housing Uh, throughout the minor league season, whether they are promoted, demoted, released, whatever it is, with a few exceptions. I should note the Astros, the Giants, there are a couple teams that are starting to change this, but we just kind of lay out the logic or illogic, I guess that we would say, about that being the responsibility of players when their location, where they're going to work, where they're going to spend their season is not within their control. They can get bounced up, down, all around throughout the season. And so we talk about that. That led to Jeremy reaching out, kind of talking to me, and I decided, hey, why don't we talk to Jeremy? So as you kind of go into this, Jeremy obviously, as we talk about, is a former minor league player, but he also is someone who works with minor league players nowadays. So we want to get his perspective from the perspective of someone who works with minor league players. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Jeremy Wolf. Hey everybody, excited today to be joined by Jeremy Wolf. Jeremy Wolf can wears several hats. He is a former minor league player, which I do think is important to what we're going to talk about today. But he is also the co-founder and director of Outreach for More Than Baseball. And with that, I think that Jeremy is going to have insights. We want to talk about the kind of the experience of minor league players. And so Jeremy's seen it both as a player, but also now continues to work in it today. And so, Jeremy, very excited to get to have this time to uh, to kind of talk to you about this. But I'll I'll just ask you to start off on explain to us what More Than Baseball is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, More Than Baseball is a nonprofit. uh, We're an organization that helps minor league baseball players get housing and food, equipment, career services, financial guidance, mental health coaching. what we see in minor league baseball right now is that there are a lot of pitfalls in how uh, player development is approached by, by teams. And so what more than baseball does is we fill in those gaps. We want to work with the team. We want to work with as many players as possible to provide opportunities for them during and after their careers. Like we are a tool for player development. We want to make sure and we want to ensure that players have what they need to be successful on and off the field during and after their careers. Because if they are, the game, the game will be in a better place because of it. And so when you say that, okay, so what are some right now of the pitfalls mm-hmm. that keep players from being as successful as they can? Right now, players are making, I think, between at all levels, $4,500 to $5,000 and $12,000 per year. So pay isn't there, right? A lot of the times players are on the hook for their own food. 
uh, which is expensive, their own equipment, which it gets expensive for their own and for their own housing. And so the way we see it is if we can provide all of the necessities that a player needs uh, for free or affordably, if we can work with the teams to provide opportunities, we can work with the Players Association and Major League Baseball to, uh, to provide uh, assistance, uh, then we're doing the game a service. We're doing these players a service because uh, they'll see, they'll, they'll progress in their career and have it based on solely on skill rather than on merit, right? Or on signing bonus. We wanna make sure that um, minor league baseball players have the tools at their disposal to maximize their potential in, in professional baseball. And unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. And so where we come from is the idea that if you, if you protect the players day to day, the long-term will be sustained. And we can continue to, we don't scream from the rooftops, uh, you know, saying pay them more, pay them more. Clearly that's a, that's a solution to an issue that has long been sought uh, uh, by, by uh, certainly a lot of people. But if we can help a kid get a case of bats and we can help him get a job in the off season, that's ult ultimately gonna make him a better baseball player because he's set up for success in the season, set up for success after the season. And I truly believe that's the way that we can kind of make lasting change in, in professional baseball. With that, like I mentioned at the start of this, you were also a minor league player yourself. Um, 31st round pick of the Mets. Yeah. So I'm just going to go without trying to intrude. But but so where did you spend that first $5 million signing bonus that comes with you know being a, a 31st? Oh, that's a really good question. I get asked that a lot. Uh, no, I got like a, they basically said, Jeremy, like you're a senior sign. We're going to give you $5,000 and uh, good luck. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm playing professional baseball. That's awesome. I get them for first day. And Zach Wheeler was like, welcome to the Mets. Best of luck. I'll see you in the big soon. And I said, Zach Wheeler, that's awesome. Like what an amazing experience. What an amazing opportunity it is to play professional baseball for a major league team. It's awesome. I said to the clubhouse guy who's uh, doing his best. I said, Hey, I, I can't afford bats. Uh, can you guys help me out? And he said, uh, no. And I said, I said, okay, what about, what about a glove? They're moving me to first base. I just said, no. Okay. Uh, no. And so I thought in my head, like, wow, this is going to be unbelievably difficult. But then you get through the course of a season. And I only played two years. I got hurt at the end of my second season. I got released before I could walk yet after a back surgery. And so I thought, okay, I had two years of minor league baseball. I have a four-year college degree. I'm one of the few that, that do. Uh, I played and I only have two years of, of vacant space on my resume, right? But what about those guys who are 26, 27, 29, 32, who have played professional baseball for years because that's all they knew. They had nothing else to go to. And so over the next few months, it was like, can, I, can, can we find a way to assist like my friends that are still playing? That's where the idea more than baseball came from, which was, Save America's Pastime Act came out. These changes, we saw these changes happening at the, at the legal level, at the national level at that point, at the state level, because there were a lot of issues. I, I don't know if you wrote about it or saw it, but like Arizona was trying to give a minimum wage law to minor yes. leaguers. And I'm like, this is absurd. And so we saw so many issues happening. And I, I just, I knew that if I wanted something done right, I would, I would do it myself. And Slade Heathcott, former big leaguer, jumped on board. Simon Rosenblum-Larsen, a current minor leaguer, I jumped on board and, and, and we've been uh, 
really ever since. So one of the things we'll talk about a variety of these topics, but one of the things I've written about recently is to be so much of what happens in the minors can be described as one of two things, either, well, that's the way we've always done it. Or the other option is, well, we could uh, effectively, no one's forcing us to change it. So there's those two possibilities. And when I look at minor league housing, and you, you, you talked about bats and all as well, but when I look at minor league housing, I, I look at, I, if you, I feel like when I look at it, try to look at it logically, it, it seems illogical to me yeah. that a person in a job who has no control over where they will be located in that job. Like it, it's one thing, I, I'm based in Raleigh-Durham area and I know that I'm here and that's where I am. And if for my job, I get sent out to spring training for a month, then my company pays for that. But then when I come back home, I'm expected to pay, handle my housing here. But if my job required me to be in Arizona for a month, followed by uh, New Mexico for a month, followed by Texas for a month, and followed by Ohio for a and, and had no control over it, one of the logical things would, would be, hey, the corporation handles the housing on that because you don't have a choice. You just bounce around the country. And if I was leaving a, a string of, of leases, having to find places, because every one of these could be somewhere that I stay for six months, but it could be that I stay there for six months or a week, it would seem illogical to me that that's something that is the responsibility. And as you mentioned, responsibility of players who in some cases are making $500 a week. So some cases have trouble even being qualifying to sign the lease because they go to the apartment complex and that place says, you don't make enough money for, you know, for us to approve you to sign the lease. But I, it, it, in my mind, kind of you say, how did we get here? We got here because if you rewound the clock a hundred years ago, and you wanted to sign with the Albuquerque whatevers, you were signing with them and they were saying, no, 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 we, we sign people from the area around here for this effectively town ball team. And you're here for the entirety of the year because you're literally signing a contract with that minor league team back before major league teams were involved in all that. And here we are a hundred years later and we still have this system for that reason. That's a long-winded preamble to basically ask you like I, but when I talk to players and you talk to players more often than I do, but when I talk to players, it does come up time and time again, that housing in season housing, as, as much as I'm not discounting the minor league pay concerns, but housing and food seem like to be the issues that are at the forefront of the stressors for minor league players year in, year out. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 You keep saying this word logical and illogical. It is illogical that players need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm in this, I've been in this space for three years now and there are, this community is really strong in that like there are a lot of issues within minor league baseball that are absolutely illogical. Um, what I try to do is bring some sanity to it, but I also try to solve the solution, right? It, it's, it's impossible to solve a solution that uh, is 4,500 players maybe less now for, because of the cuts, 4,000 players trying to find affordable housing in locations in 120 locations across the country. It's illogical to me that major league teams don't provide housing 
for their players because that would make it easier to perform at their job. So in player development, you want your athlete to perform at his best day in and day out. You want him to sleep better. You want him to uh, develop better. You want him to recover better. You need to release the stresses that are around him to do that. So in this frame of mind, it's not just a systematic problem. It's not just uh, this mindset problem, right? It's this issue of their desire and whether or not they think it's important that players have housing at their disposal so that they can focus on playing. So when right now you have players who don't speak English, don't make enough money to, to get a lease. You have players who live seven, eight, nine to an apartment. Some live in their cars, some live in the locker room because they have to provide for a family because they have to pay for equipment because they have to pay for training in the off season. The system itself is not supportive of the player's recovery or performance or development. And so like housing is this one amazingly interesting factor because different locations have different prices. And, and if you're paying 600 for rent with three other guys and you get brought up or brought down or released, well, from my experiences and the conversations I've had, the teams won't cover that. You're on the hook because you got brought up. So now you got to get rent in, I don't, I, you know, in AAA and you just paid for rent in AA and the team's not going to cover that or at least not going to cover it till the rest of the season. There are these issues that are so easily fixed that we at more than baseball just try to number one, showcase that number two, provide opportunities for them to get assistance in emergency housing grants in the more than baseball grant that we had last year with uh, the players association in, uh, in, in day-to-day relief because we want players to have tools at their disposal. We want the teams to see, look how easy it is for us to support players. We will be fine as an organization, whether or not players make $30,000 a year or currently at five to $12,000 a year. We do so much in the community. We do so much internationally that our immediate focus is, well, we can't like support the growth of baseball if where we're trying to get these players is still an issue. And the issue is, um, the teams don't provide enough resources for them so that they can focus on playing. And housing is like this one that is so easy to fix. And the Astros have done it, at least for this year. We'll see about next year. We could also talk about the reasons why they did that. But also, uh, I think there's another team that provided housing. The, the Giants is providing the housing Giants. at the uh, Class A level. Okay. And, and, a, and a stipend at AA and above. Good. AA, AAA. As they should. They made a, they're going to make a billion dollars this year. Whether we want to believe it or not, teams are going to do just fine. So if teams can say, okay, this is our next batch of talent, how do we best protect them in the ways that are the easiest possible? Cover their housing, make their food better, provide equipment for them. The other stuff, leave to us, the other stuff, the off-season transitioning, the building the resume, the career transitioning aspect, that's not their, that shouldn't be their job right? They should have it in-house because players are ultimately going to need it, but they should be concerned about what happens on the field. And what happens on the field means protecting them off the field as well. And so um, it's such a fascinating topic and we can talk about it for days. We'll continue our conversation with Jeremy in just a second, but we're going to take a quick break for a message from one of our sponsors. Well, like you said, I mean, there are players and you know the stories I've 
no stories of players who literally are sleeping in their car at times, which when you talk about rest and recovery being a very important part of, of an athletic endeavor and of, of player development, I, I've slept in my car before. I can promise you that sleeping, you know, I, I know that that is not the best rest and recovery, but it, it's one of those, again, when you talk about logic, when I look at it logically, the other thing, when you have this new system, you just mentioned, it's now 120 teams and it's 10-year PDLs, that actually one of the potential benefits of that, if there is a benefit, is these teams know where they're going, their minor league teams are going to be located. When I look mm-hmm. at this logically, the player himself does not know if he's going to spend the entire season at one level, get moved up, get moved down, get moved up, then down. Some players cover four levels. Some, as you mentioned, get released in season. And by the way, like uh, Todd Van Stiesel tweeted out, it's like to me, uh, you know, after my story, he made the point, it's like there was a year that I get paid and it's like $750. I signed my lease because I just got signed. And then three days later, I get released. Well, and he's still on the hook. Well, uh, again, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but bigger picture on it even, it doesn't even make sense to say the logical way to do this is not, hey, teams will provide a stipend, a supplement or whatever, so that players can then, you know, that they can help pay for the housing. The logical part of it is, is that the team themselves knows the names may change, the faces may change, but they're going to need 35 to 40 rooms at class A, low A, high A, double A, triple A. And when they move someone up or they move someone down, that person's always replacing someone else moving up or down. And so all of a sudden, if you said, we're clearing out this room because this guy just went up and he's being replaced by this guy coming down, it's still one room. It's mm-hmm. still one bedroom. You, you know, if it's a four bedroom apartment or it's one bedrooms or it's extended stay hotel, whatever it is, the team, the MLB team themselves, their number is effectively fixed for the year. And they have negotiating power that a 500, a 21 year old making $500 a week does not have to say, we're going to strike a really good deal because what we're providing to whatever, even they could do real estate development because they love to do that. But if not, they could also say, we're going to contract with you for the next five years. What's the best rate we could get? And that complex or hotel or whatever knows, hey, I've got these rooms filled six months a year for the next five years. And it's done by a billion dollar corporation where I don't have to worry. I'm never going to have to sue them to get back rent. There's again, when I say this, there's a logic to me about that being the approach. Yes. Yes. We can clearly lay out like ways that we can fix minor league baseball very easily. Right. And, and so like you're in the frame of mind of, okay, there's a story here, right? What are the players going through? What are the teams not providing? Uh, I'm here to tell you, we are doing what we can because the teams aren't providing it. But it's really easy to fix, right? Which makes it even more mind boggling that it's not, right? Or that it's not an interest to the teams to do that. And so like, I've had conversations with teams. Uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna name names, I can't. 
Uh, but I had a conversation with oh, them. It would said, not be wise for you to do so. It would, would not. It would be unwise. My lawyer has, hold on. My lawyer has advised me not to say which team. Yeah. And I said, you know, who's in charge of handling the day-to-day of minor league players? And he goes, we don't have one. We made a bunch of cuts. We did this. Whatever. We just thought, we just don't have one. I go, so who helps players find housing in your organization? And my, when I was with the Mets, the trainers helped us find housing. But the trainer's job is not to find housing for players, right? Why does every team not have a liaison? The Indians do. Her name is Jen Wolf. She was with the Mets, with me, and she is now with the Indians, and she is fantastic and the best in the business at what she does. And there's another one across baseball that has, like, the same role. She's called, like, I think it's, like, life skills coordinator. But that's it. The teams don't really have that. And so when you have 120 professional baseball players, half or a little bit less than half or don't speak English or are from the Dominican and Venezuela, and you have the needs of your organization, which is to fulfill investments, to get players to the major leagues, to run their organization properly. When I look at like the yearly rankings of top farm systems, those are usually the ones that treat their players the best. There are organizations I never talk to, I never hear of, and their players always go, we don't have what we need in our locker room or in our clubhouse, or there's nobody I can talk to. And then there are organizations like the Astros and the Giants and the Dodgers and the Brewers that are always top 10 in baseball and farm system development and top five in my mind in how they treat their players. There's an obvious correlation between how you treat your players during and after their career and their performance. And it's showing how easy it can be to change so that baseball itself goes, oh, you know what we should do? We should help our players with this. Great, where'd they get that idea? Oh, we thought about it. Oh, you thought about it. Yeah, well, we've been doing it for years, but if you uh, are gonna do it, we're happy with it. We wanna show people how easy it is to make this change. And if the teams aren't gonna do it, we wanna make sure the players know that they can come to us, they can trust us, they can believe in us, and that we have a proven track record of bringing in money, being able to disperse it properly uh, and supporting a system in which for a hundred years hasn't changed. And I think if you take into account inflation, minor leaguers have been paid, I think less over time or since the 1960s. So we're in an environment where we have to showcase it. We have to talk about it. We have to talk about the solutions. The solution is provide opportunities to players that they don't have right now and show them that there's support out there that can help them during and after their careers because performance will be uh, taken into account. And if you're the team, you go, hold on, we can support our players more and we can get another prospect out of it. Well, I can trade that prospect away and make my team better. So if I'm spending X and I can get a major leaguer out of it, there's value in that for me. And, And to me, it's like, I have to keep saying this over and over because someone's gonna listen to this and go, Jeremy, you're absolutely right. And I go, you should make that change. And they're like, we don't have the money. We don't have the time. We don't have the desire. We don't have the support. Well, bring us in. We, we want to do this. We, we just want to support players. That's it. It's my, it's my life. I, we built more than baseball to give players a resource that we didn't have. That's and, and what this says. I take me back, like you said, when you give you a resource that when you were playing that you didn't have. What were, when you saw, again, 16, yep. 17. It wasn't that many years ago. This is not something talking about, oh, no, no, back, you know, in back in the day. Yeah, back in. But <laughs> what did you see as a player 
You, yeah. you mentioned one. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's actually one. Like I, there's a lot of these parts of this that I struggle with. Like I write about it sometimes, but I don't like, I sometimes I, I make assumptions that people realize things. And then I realize I wrote this story about housing and I'm talking to my brother who's had conversations with me about baseball for 20 years. And he goes, I didn't realize that the players were responsible for their own housing. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how, you know, I thought we'd mentioned this before, but you mentioned another one, which is, is I don't think people realize it. I think that fans often think that gear is either provided by the team or, well, but they're pro players. So every pro player has a contract where they get all that stuff for free because they're a professional player, which the reality of that is, is that it's, it's, it's like movie stars. The reality of it is, is that if you are a player on a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract, yes, you almost assuredly have a contract that means all that stuff is provided for free, even though you could afford it easily. Mm -hmm. But if you are a minor leaguer who didn't get a big bonus, you almost assuredly are going to have to pay for that yourself. Is that not the, the fair way to explain it? It's true. And it's, and it's funny. It's still like that. Sad, ultimately. But when I was playing, like, a, a, each bat was like 85 bucks. And you find a company that'll give it to you for 65 bucks. But throughout the course of the year, like, I was playing in Florida. For those who haven't been to Florida in the summer, it's the absolutely most miserable place in the world. And I'm from Arizona, where it's a dry heat, certainly. I'm, that's what I tell people. In Florida, it's wet. And it was so wet that I could squeeze like sweat out of my bats. So that bat is ruined, right? So I, in my time in spring training, I think I went through four, two broke because I like inside pitches and I don't hit them well. And two were sweat logs. So that's four in a month. And I didn't get paid in spring training. So then I was like, okay, there's four of my six gone. I have two more for games that I'll only use for games. I need to get more. Okay, that's another 240, 50, 200, maybe 300 bucks in bats. But I was in extended spring training, which at the time we weren't getting paid. And I went through another four or five because I swing at inside pitches and my bats got sweat logged. And so for the course of a year, you're not going through six bats, you're going through 20. And so if I'm being paid $5,000 and I spend 2,400 of it on bats and I had to buy a new glove because they moved my position. So that's 3,000, so I have 2,000 left. And then I have to pay $600 a month for housing for five months. I'm in the, I'm in the negative, in the black, in the red. I don't know the colors. And I've I, lost money. I, I know that one of the things that I hear, you know, there is a, a portion of fan bases who basically say universally, oh, but you're getting to play a game. If you don't like it, play better. Oh, you're yeah. getting to play a game. So you, you're so lucky. But what you just said right there, again, looking big picture, trying to find the logic in it. I know of players who retired or quit, call whichever you want because of that. We, we, we are the, the, like the community on Twitter, the, the people in more than baseball, people that donate, the people that write about it all love baseball. The fans, 
love baseball. They're baseball fans. Don't you want what's best for the game? So, so if you don't, if you say, well, if you don't like it, play better or uh, boo hoo, you're a professional athlete. There's a person behind that. There's a father, there's a son, there's a brother. There are, there are so many instances where people can jump in and help make this situation a better situation where teams can do their due diligence in providing opportunities for their players, where it shouldn't be the burden of the player to go, well, I am a professional athlete. No, it should be, look at the platform that I'm given. I need to maximize my opportunity. I need to maximize my future potential income as much as I can. And I need to set myself up for success. Look at this amazing opportunity I was given. I can use this to give back to the community. I can use this to give back to my family. I could use this opportunity to support the minor league community in which I am in. So when I hear like, boo-hoo, they're professional athletes, I'd say they are people who do a job and their job is to perform day in and day out for seven months a year and then have to train five months in the off season to do it again the next year. And their employer, their team does not provide opportunities for them to find success. And so I'm not defending the, the stingy major league baseball billionaire owners who say, I don't want to support my players. It's good business when you support players. It's good for your fan base. It's good for the minor league organizations because bad stories don't get written about them. And it's not their fault, the minor league clubs, because the clubs are not on the hook for paying the players. Cubs are on the hook for putting on the team, putting on the games, right? Which is another part of minor league baseball that people don't understand. The, uh, in my instance, like the Brooklyn Cyclones were owned by the New York Mets. But in many instances, they're independently owned franchises most of the work time. under yeah and they work just within this space and they go i need to put the game on and they don't care that the bad boy is making more money per year than the shortstop you know so like the system itself is not conducive to the development of the player because there are so many pitfalls in what we see as support that can be brought to them so in housing if you across the board give players access to affordable affordable housing even access to it or pay for it yourselves, you're going to see dividends in their performance. And the difference between hitting 250 and 300 is three hits. Can getting him a mattress and getting him a place to sleep and getting him better food and better equipment lead to three more hits? I, I'm on, I, I think so. And so like, like I hope a, a billionaire owner is listening to this. Hi, Mr. Cohen. Um, it's easy to, make things better for your players. It's absolutely so easy. And we've laid out the steps in this podcast and laid out the steps in more than baseball that can bring that change. And the Giants have done it and found success. We hear that things are better with their players. And the Astros have done it and found success. And we know that things are better with their players. And that's just one piece of it. I don't know how much the Astros are spending, but if you give every minor league baseball player minimum wage for 12 months, it's going to raise your yearly payroll, I think by like four and a half or $5 million to pay 120 players, 725 for 12 months. It's like four or $5 million, which is like a Nick Punto. Add a Nick Punto there. You helped all your minor leaguers and pay dividends down the line. Passionate, so, JJ. I understand. 
you know, I mean, this is again, you, and again, you've lived it. And now, you know, that I, I inspired you to basically stay in it, even after you were in it and then out of it and you're still in it. Yeah. Makes it a, that's a weird way of saying that, but you a lifer. we're lifers, yeah. you and me. So, so when you look at with in conversations I've had with you, like there does seem like there is both receptivity in a lot of cases to your message, but also there's receptivity and at the same time, uh, a reluctance as well. Is that how you would term when you have conversation with teams about, hey, if you could do this, it would really benefit your players? Yeah. They say, we don't have the time or the money, but we don't think it'll help. And I show them the data and I show them the proof and I show them what their players want. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's fine. It's fine right now. But like in every organization, you can talk internally. You can talk off the record with people and they'll go, oh yeah, that guy sleeps in his car. Oh yeah, that guy sleeps in the locker room. Oh, this guy just got released and he got deported. Uh, this guy got released. We don't know where he is because he is a visa expired. And we think he's in South Carolina right now, but uh, we don't know because we thought he had a cousin there, but I, I, we just hope he's doing okay. So he's in the country illegally and players really aren't educated on uh, their status as, as legal and illegal immigrants in the country when they come here to work and when they leave. And um, nobody's really held accountable for the treatment of players in, that, in those regards. So like for me, the reluctance is, well, you know, it's been this way forever. But the opportunity here is trust us and the data that we have and the conversations that we have and the testimonials that we have that on our average grant payment, I think was like $450 during COVID. And I think our housing grant was around $300 or $400 and helped cover rent for players for a month. And I get emails from moms and sisters and wives and brothers that say, like, thank you so much for providing this to Johnny because he was in a bad place or he uh, is just trying to do his job as best he can, but the environment itself is not conducive to that. The reluctance from the teams is, well, we've done it for so long, why would we change? We still get the big leaguers that we want. We cut the draft down because we had less, you know, we cut the fat, really. Uh, my draft, my, my number is now cut. So I look at the future of baseball and I think, wow, okay. So I had 40 rounds to work with. I was a division three left fielder who ran slow and was, thank God, left-handed and got drafted. But that 20 rounds, 20 through 40 are gone. And there are gems in rounds 20 through 40. And that's affordable draft rounds and uh, diamonds in the rough that you can use as pieces for your future, you know, big league club. Uh, if, if they develop correctly. So now we're working with 20 rounds. That means the future of baseball has less opportunity to play professional baseball. It means there's less assets to professional baseball because less communities have it. And so, yes, trimming the fat means less money is going to be spent on minor leaguers. And what we were told was that more focus would be given to minor leaguers. But with less fat means less coaches and less administration that focus on the players that are left over. So when I talk to teams and I say, how many mental skills coaches do you have? And they say three, I go three for 120 players. And they say, yes, how many speak Spanish? One. So one mental skills coach for 60 minor leaguers that speak Spanish. So there are, and where a team makes a billion dollars or, you know, a safe 
bet $500 million and they have to pay payroll and then there's money left over. It's not going to players because they don't deem it valuable where I'm proving that that is the case. And so I just, you know, more than baseball, myself, Slade, Simon, the people that work with us, the donors, the major leaguers that partner with us, you and Bill Shakin and the other amazing writers who talk about this and cover this, like, chip, you know, uh, keep chipping away, chipping away. And one day, like, the changes that we want to see are going to happen. And we've seen, you can attest to this, and you've been in this longer than me, the progress that has been made in the last five years, certainly since I've been in it, the last 10 years, the last 20, the last 30 years, it's gotten periodically better, but it's still not where it can and should be. And that should is very easy to do. I, I, I am old. And I started covering the minors in the mid nineties. And it was right around the time that there was the PBA kind of required that stadiums were upgraded. And so I, I literally, the, the Bull Durham style locker room was going out of fetch, but there was still like clubhouses where it was a closet, a visiting clubhouse, especially were essentially a closet. Like, so working conditions were really poor. Um, and that has improved. Food is one of those things where it's still, but now you have finally reached the point, I would say, as I see it, where most major league organizations have come to the point of saying it is illogical that, that when the ball players are here with us during season, that, because I've seen it with my own eyes, it used to be on the minor league side, I remember at spring training on the minor league side, where it would be loaves of Wonder Bread and it would be the combined peanut butter and jelly, goober grape, and it would be there's lunch, which yep. yeah, again, these are what you're describing as premium athletes. That is not exactly the training table that you want to say, oh, yep. what is the best way that we can make sure that they build strong muscles during, you know, this is to say we got some white, white bread, not even wheat, just white, you know, but white bread and some combined, we can't give you peanut butter and jelly. That's too extravagant. We can go to Sam's club and get one thing that puts it all together. And then again, now we go to, you know, there's there, that is improved. But that said, you mentioned like a lot of this is still, I, if I'm going to make a prediction I don't think in 10 years from now, there will the, the concept of spring training and extended spring not being, you know, something that is paid like the season will no longer be the case. There's the court case right now that's going on. And I think that there is a reluctance to codify it until that court case is resolved, because I think that, again, this is my, you know, from what I've been able to infer from talking to people, there is the thought that if you if the MLB teams, like if it feels codified that you have to pay for spring training and extended spring, that would essentially prove the case that all these players who did not get paid, like yourself, like you mentioned, that it was wrong to do so at the time. But it's also the law, again, there is no logic. There's, there is an argument that has been made legally in that case that spring training and extended spring are just free training, voluntary training for the players, to which I've always said, the next story I hear of the player who's told at the end of at spring training, I've got bad news for you. You didn't make the, the low A team. We're keeping you back and extended. And that player said, okay, that is disappointing news. I'm going to return to my home. I will continue training. When an opening comes open at low A, 
I will be ready to go. Just tell me the time and the place and I'll be there. And again, it's never happened because that player would be placed on the suspended list the day he didn't stick around. That's going to eventually, you know, but again, that's one of those things that's been done that way. I haven't heard, I can't find anyone who ever offers like off the record, a logical defense of why extended spring has been unpaid. It's not, you know, it's not a, uh, is not this why if you're an extended spring, you don't get paid, but if you're at low A, you do beyond the fact that the uniform player contract says in it that you only get paid during a championship season and there is no trophy for who wants extended spring. There's, there have been improvements, but again, there are a lot of parts of this that could best be described as it's kind of illogical. <laughs> keep coming back to that word but again like i haven't i say that because i'm again i am someone who tries to report on this yeah but at the same time when to me reporting is not just stenography and so there are instances where you say okay this is the argument on this side this is the argument on this side i've never heard anyone make it uh, a really try to make a vehement argument to me of why uh a player is responsible for their in-season housing other than, well, that's just the way it's always been or why a player doesn't get paid for extended spring other than that's just the way it's always been. It's just the way it always is. I don't, I'm not telling you what to name this podcast or your next article, but certainly a good title is the treatment of minor leaguers is illogical, right? It, it's illogical to me that, they, that there are these issues, right? That, there is extended spring training that is unpaid. What in that world makes it unpaid? Why is it considered voluntary? Well, because somebody wrote that down like 50 years ago. Oh, whenever you're in spring training, it's not paid. So I'm just sitting here like, so if it was paid, players would have the ability to buy the equipment that they, that they need, right? Like, or they'd save that money. They live in the hotel that the team provides or in my instance, they, that came out of my paycheck. Uh, it's that way because it's illogical. It doesn't make sense, right? I'm trying to bring some sanity to it. You're trying to bring some much needed sanity to it. But at the end of the day, like these are easy fixes. We just, we ultimately want what's best for baseball. And I ultimately want like the, the, the kids that I work with to say, I want to be a professional baseball player. Uh, and I say, do you know who Mike Trout is? And they go, yeah, he's on the Angels, right? And like with Shohei, and I go, okay, you know who Shohei is? Great. They don't, they don't know who Mike Trout is. And Mike Trout, oh, we can make a case he's the best baseball player of all time. And if he were to walk down the street, nobody knows who he is. But we know Steph Curry, and we know Kyler Murray, and we know uh, stars in other sports, but baseball. Kyler Murray, you are talking about the A's first round pick. So, oh, yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that chose football <laughs> over baseball because you didn't want to, have a lower signing bonus. He wanted the opportunity to maximize his income. He wanted to be a number one overall pick, and he didn't want to ride the oh, bus. Oh, people for four yelled years. at me about that. Oh, people oh, yelled oh. at me because I said he's <laughs> financially. It makes way more sense to go to football than baseball. Yeah. And people yelled like, "No, no, 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 that's not." And it's like, "No, just look at the numbers." And again, it comes back to the NFL. Like again, you you get to your money quicker than you do in baseball. Yeah. Oh, now oh, it depends on your position too. But you he know. didn't want to sit on the bus for four years, make it to the big leagues for three. Oh, then he didn't want to go through arbitration. 
<laughs> look, what look what's happening to Chris Bryant. I think we said for seven years now, is that dude ever going to get paid? And Major League Baseball says, no, he's not. Because of the way that the system is. It does not, it does not make sense. It is illogical, the system. And so what can I do? Help players find housing. There's an amazing organization called Clubby. Uh, on Instagram, I think it's like Clubby Service. I think website clubby.com or clubbyservice.com. C-L-U-B-B-I-E. Um, they put together an entire guide for minor leaguers that has all of the, the, the locations, links to affordable housing, some of which they've had conversations with and said minor leaguers might live here. Is there ability to um, give them a shorter lease, uh, something that they can uh, live in affordably? Uh, is there you know, furniture? We worked with a furniture company to provide some of this housing. Uh, these are, this is just patchwork. Like this is band-aids on a, ink, on a flesh wound, uh, but it's something. Long lasting change is gonna happen when teams make the decision that this is something that they wanna do. Until then, we're gonna have to do this. And the Todd Van Steensels are gonna have to give their perspective on, well, I was making $750 a month and I had to pay for housing that was $400 a month and I got released and I had to still pay for housing that was $400 a month and nobody helped me. You can write an entire book. I think Dirk Hayhurst has. I had never read his book. I also never saw Burl Durham until like a week ago. So uh, who am I to say? Well, you know, you know, it's culture? not your generation. That's my generation. <laughs> Watch that. Uh, but it's been going on for a long time and it doesn't make it right. Yeah, you, you, he's a professional athlete. doesn't make it right. There's ways to fix it. But. I, 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 and unfortunately I need to wrap this up because I have another podcast I'm supposed to record for someone else's podcast in about five minutes, but uh, you know, that is podcast day here at baseball America, but, but Jeremy, I really do appreciate the time. If people wanted to find out more about more than baseball, what's the best way for them to do that? MTB underscore ORG on Twitter and Instagram, more than baseball.org. Uh, you can find us online. Um, and you know, if you love baseball, you love us. If you love baseball and you want to support the growth of baseball, more than baseball is a place to do it. Um, we just, we want what's best for the game. If you're with a team, if you're not with a team if you're in the front office, if you're a player, if you're a fan, if your team got cut in the last cuts, we want to hear from you and, and we want to make sure that you have what you need to support ball players and support the growth of the game. And so I, I appreciate the time and I just, I want to thank you again for the, the work, the amazing work that you've been doing, you know, talking about these issues over, over the years. Well, thank you again for the time also, Jeremy. I, I really do appreciate it. Again, that's more than baseball. You can check that out on Twitter, Instagram, or on the web. For Jeremy, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.